Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Virginia Tech beat Duke 24-3. It was a pretty boring second half of the game and a washout in general, but a win nonetheless. Robbie, give us a cheers. It's we back week, so uh, all of our references to being uh, Miami being back finally can be used without people cringing quite as much as they do when we normally say it and joke around about it. It's a huge matchup. I don't think, uh, obviously, the the polls come out, or I guess the college playoff rankings come out. We're not going to make a jump into the top 10, So, but it will be a top 15 matchup. So how about Virginia Tech being nationally relevant again and picking up another primetime spot, which I'm excited about, 8 o'clock game, next weekend is going to be a blast. So cheers to that. Cheers. I also want to start us off with saying we're going to have a guest join us today. Joe Lanza from the key play. He came on in the summer before the season started. He's back tonight. Joe, welcome to the podcast. Hey Pete. Thank you for having me on again. And Robbie hit the only two news and notes I have in his cheers. And that's that VT is Still number 13 in the AP poll. No no move at all. And we have an 8 p.m. game on ABC against Miami. Let's hope the offense shows up this time. <laughs> we'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, but VT is now 12th in Sagarin and 15th in the S&P Plus. So whether it's computers or humans, everyone's got us in the top 15. It's about right based on our schedule and West Virginia, unlike Miami, not holding up their end of the bargain and being very good this year. Uh, I guess, Joe, since you're here, and Robbie, how do you feel about where we're at in the season just based on who we've played, and do you think we're kind of fake number 13 in the country, or do you think this is pretty much on par where we're at? Uh, yeah, I think 13 is pretty good for where we're at. It's, you know, I think there's only a you know, maybe the only team that's proven to kind of be elite this year is perhaps Alabama and maybe by quality wins, someone like Iowa state who has like two really, really good wins. Notre Dame has some good wins. Uh, Georgia has some good wins. I think there's an upper echelon of teams right now. And Virginia tech still needs to make its case as to whether or not it is uh, one of those upper echelon teams. And this week is the best opportunity to do that. Uh, yeah, I 100% agree. I think our defense has started to show that they can play with, you know, most people in the country. Maybe not the most elite teams, but uh, there's still question marks. Even as positive as the offense has been, in, in respect to what my expectations were coming into the season, they there's still a ton to prove on that side of the ball. But the defense, I think, I'm starting to get pretty comfortable with as being a top 10 defense in the country. Is Boston college now our best win being on the road and how they've played the last few weeks? If I mean, they're about as good as West Virginia on paper when you look at it and that game was on the road and West Virginia was a neutral site game and what was kind of a hokey home game. So when BC's your best win, it's kind of hard to say how good we are. Yes. The defense looks great. The offense had a great start to the season and it's kind of hit some speed bumps, but, uh, this is a good measuring stick for us this weekend, for sure. And we're going to get into full Miami discussion uh, in a little bit. But I do want to talk about the rain-soaked Duke game. 
Uh, I'm sure you guys watched it. I think it was on Jefferson Pilot or Raycom or something. Uh, if you managed to find the game, you would you would see that we actually got off to a good start for once. VT scored a touchdown on their second drive with a McLeese rush, and then our D forced a fumble on TJ Ramming that led to a field goal. We had an early lead, and right before the half for the second straight week, Josh threw a TD pass. It was kind of a wounded duck-looking pass to Savoy, but he made a nice play on the ball. Savoy is becoming quickly one of our best assets at wide receiver and the way he steps up, and I thought it was twofold. One, he showed the ability to catch open up a little bit of a vertical threat. We still don't have much of one, but a little bit of a vertical threat. But then we also saw him this week in the jet sweep game, which was kind of nice as well. And that kid has some wheels on him. I didn't expect to see that, or at least I've been missing it and everybody else has noticed it, but he is extremely talented and I can't wait to see what he's going to be. He's a freshman right now and he's growing so much every game. So at the half, it was 17 to three. In the second half, it was just really, really boring, and it was mainly because of the weather. It, you can't look at Josh's stats too harshly one way or the other just because it was so nasty in that second half. We blanked Duke, which was nice, and we got one more TD on the Josh Jackson run, and it made it a 23 or 24-3 to final. And this was just a take-care-of-your-business game. I was pleased with what I saw. Joe, were you pretty much happy with the game? Yeah, it's like one of these games where, again, I never thought Virginia Tech was in trouble uh, at any point in that game. Watching it, I never thought Virginia Tech had a chance to lose. And I think that's like the third game in a row now that I felt that way watching. I think a lot of people have gotten a little uh, tied up over the offense. I mean, look, the offense is young. They're inexperienced. They're lacking a lot of proven playmakers, and they're really lacking a vertical threat and a game-breaking running back. But they're managing with what they have. And I think like one of the encouraging, th- encouraging things is, yeah, our best quality win is probably Boston College or West Virginia, which isn't too great. But Tech is absolutely just hammering the hell out of all these inferior teams that they play. Like They took UNC behind the woodshed. They basically just beat up on Boston College. They beat up on Duke. They're just they're beating up the teams they should beat up, which I think was a really big criticism at the end of the Beamer era. And they're getting back to just starting to bully around the teams that they are more talented than, which I think is encouraging. As as far as Duke goes, the I, I do agree with you, Pete. I think the defense is approaching one of the best defenses that uh, Foster's fielded in quite some time. I think they've been fortunate with uh, injuries. And I think I said on this very podcast at the beginning of the season that had, we, had, had there not have been a Justin Fuente offense where – you know, fans have the expectations of the offense having a very high ceiling. They would look at this defense and think much more positively about what this season could be based on how good the defense is. And yeah, it's kind of like the defense is somehow flying under the radar. Yeah, it's shocking. And it's starting to fly under that radar less and less. We're now the number two scoring defense only behind Alabama nationally. We're top 10 in a number of other categories, including third down percentage, uh, completion percentage by the opposing team, quarterback rating by the opposing team, yards per rush. I mean, it goes on and on. There's like 10 categories where we're top 10 defensively. We haven't faced the most potent offenses, but you can't argue with 
you know, 130 teams and you're in the top 10 in all these defensive categories, they're playing amazing. And eyeball test alone, you can tell this is a high-quality defense. And it's not just from one unit. It's from DBs, linebackers, and that defensive line this year, that is the true difference maker. It's, it's been awesome to see. Let's do a little bit of the offensive recap as well. It wasn't a great day for them. Now, we did have the weather, like I said, but just 387 yards, 5.1 yards per play. We were coming in at about 6 yards per play prior and less than 50% completion for Jackson. He did break Vic's freshman passing yards record because I think Vic passed about 10 times a game in 1999, but he did uh, break that record, which is pretty cool. Uh, Two total TDs and just one sack. So it wasn't all bad for Josh, but again, we saw some hesitancy and some missed throws. Yeah, I think things are... I think we need a game that we come out and start to reestablish his confidence because we're this game was very different. And I know I'm not talking about the second half when it was an absolute downpour. So 19 of our passes of the 27 attempts were in the first half. Uh, that was at a 53 completion percentage. The weather was not great, but it wasn't bad in that first half. It You're going to play in times like that, a 53% completion percentage percentage which was the lowest on the um really on the year 63 percent of those passes were um beyond the line of scrimmage so actual downfield passes not screens not short outs whatever the case may be in most games we've been running about 80 percent kind of downfield passes as i would characterize them so they were shorter passes and our completion percentage was down pretty materially so there's a little bit to kind of focus in on, and I think there's something that we've gotten away from uh, that was working pretty well beginning uh, in the beginning of the season, and I think we can renew it and, and get him back under under center and comfortable, but we're playing almost a little bit scared, I think, right now, and it made sense in that second half. Hell, I don't want them throwing the ball down the field uh, in the second half, but in fact, the number of passes that we had down the field were actually increased in the second half. So it was kind of a screwy <laughs> way that the game played out, and um, but you know, the, the real stat that I care about is no interceptions. In a game like that, took care of the football, I think that's important to the coaching staff. I've, I've kind of said it time and again. Fuente says it all the time. And that's really what I think matters was the no interceptions and really and no fumbles, I don't believe, either. Yeah, that, no, that was impressive for the weather to not have any fumbles. But I did think a couple of Josh's passes could have been picked off. Cam broke up at least one, and I think one of the Duke players dropped another uh, so, so some of his low interception rate is luck, but a lot of it is the way he plays. He does play in a way to protect the football, and that's appreciated. He throws it out of bounds. There was a game, uh, play in the end zone. He threw it just completely out of the end zone because he didn't see anyone open. He does make smart plays more often than not, uh, so I'm not going to fault him too much. And the no interceptions, not turning the ball over, is key to this team because that's the only thing that could have undone this game or the Boston College game, or a lot of games this season, is if we had kept turning the ball over, and he's not doing that. I thought the running game sure. had a decent night. Uh, I was I was curious if if you saw enough there, or if you think we could have done a little bit more in the running game. Joe, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think 
Fuente said this today during his media. French wrote at length about it before Fuente had mentioned it. But, you know, the offensive line and the blocking up front has been pretty good. Uh, they're just lacking, you know, dynamic tailbacks. Like, there's holes there. And the tailbacks that they have need to take advantage of it more. Uh, you know, Stephen Peebles starting the game out and then getting injured. And I don't know. I don't, I don't believe he returned. And now he's day-to-day. But that was just kind of a big blow. It would have been nice to, you know, have him back to see you know, to kind of get him into a rhythm before Miami, who knows if he's going to play against Miami. But yeah, I think they're, I think tech is really just lacking, you know, Trayvon McMillan's probably the one of all the stable backs right now. Who's like the most complete and the most like dynamic. I, um, but yeah, he's, he's, he, he's, it's not like having a Ryan Williams back there. He's not in that same kind of caliber of running back or David Wilson. You know, if they had a David Wilson or a Ryan Williams or a Darren Evans, and a, a more of a game-breaking back, they would be a much, much more potent offense. I agree. But I did think that getting McLeese back healthy was a nice touch because he had 75 yards and looked pretty shifty at times. And 56 total yards for McMillan, uh, just to round out what we had there, the addition of Savoy in the sweep game, that could help us too. So if we lose peoples, which at this point, he hasn't played really since the ODU game when he blew up. He had an ankle before. Now it seems like a foot. This might not be people's year uh, health-wise. Uh, so we're going to have to ride with McMillan and McLeese and whatever the wide receivers can give us in the sweep game. And I, I'm kind of pleased with that. That's For not having the game-breaking back, and I'm fully with you on that completely because you know Ryan Williams haven't come around here in a while now. But – these three guys, I think they can get it done. And going forward against Miami, a team that's been susceptible to the run, I think this trio of McMillan, McLeese, and Savoy can can do some damage. Does anyone think that Frank's up in the press box watching these punts from Oscar Bradburn? Or just like he's like thinking, like kind of kicking himself in his butt, going, <laughs> Australia, I should have went to Australia. Because yeah. just how well he's punting the damn football right now, it's unbelievable. Bradburn punting makes him want to get back on the sidelines more than, you know, Josh Jackson or Gerard throwing touchdown after touchdown. He's like, I could have coached that guy. Yeah, right. I mean, it, it really is a it, it He's really been a very undervalued, I think, weapon these last few games, um, just kicking the football and pinning, pinning teams back. And also the coverage team has been uh, outstanding this year. I mean, the, their uh, Shibist is – you know, I think a, a, a coach that a lot of the fans kind of like threw up their arms over, like, why are we getting this guy? He can't, you know, recruit. And he's he's been like, you know, Fuente is kind of like one of his right-hand men, like one of his lieutenants, and just has been an outstanding uh, special teams coach. I mean, the only thing to knock special teams are just Joey Sly this year regressing. But, you know, how much of that is on coaching versus how much of that is, you know, just kind of like the shanks or whatever you want to attribute it to. But, like, the, the meat of the special teams has just been phenomenal this year. Yeah, and Stroman has balls of steel. The, that guy just sits in there, and it's going to backfire at some point, but I can't hate on it because he's got people five yards from him that are just beelining, and he still sits in there and catches the ball every time, even in the rain. It's it's you know almost impressive to watch at this point, and it could very well cause a big problem at some point, but thus far... He's catching everything, and he's still putting forward yardage that's helping us out. The special teams would be at the top of every efficiency metric if it weren't for 
Joey missing all the field goals. If you look at S&P, we've been moving up, but we're still, I don't know, in the 50s or 40s or something. And you think about how good our special teams has been. That doesn't make any sense ex- except for when you look at the missed field goals. And so Joey was one for one in this game. Let's <laughs> let's hope he can stay on track because it's he hasn't hurt us yet. And, you know, obviously no missed field goal in the Clemson game was going to make us win that game. Uh, it's It's been fine. But in Miami, three points could be everything. So let's hope uh, he's getting on track because our special teams have been great except for that. Just to go over some of the defensive highlights before we move on to Miami, this was a standout performance all the way across the board, as we were mentioning. 3.1 yards per play for Duke, just 82 passing yards for Daniel Jones. Shut down any hope of a passing game. They were He was 10 for 24. He was able to run a little bit, but a lot of that was just our defense being disinterested or at the end of the game when it was already in hand. Nine tackles for loss, one sack, could have been at least two more. They called some of Daniel Jones like dropbacks, rushes when the first play of the game, for instance, he dropped back, fell over, Motul Puaka was in pursuit, and they called it a rush. It was like he was absolutely going to pass that football, but whatever. Bud now has 800 sacks in his tenure at Virginia Tech since 1996, the most in that span in FBS. We've seen that a thousand times, but 800 sacks is, is pretty amazing. I don't know if you had any other highlights from the defensive players, Robbie. Uh, just the Terrell Edmonds interception. French talked about it in his uh, his his note today. Uh, I went ape shit when I saw it during the actual game. I have no clue how that human got back there and made that interception. And Willie Mays Hayes, you know, <laughs> caught the ball. It, it was it was right over unbelievable. His head, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and he made it look so easy that it almost, I think some people actually overlooked it, how difficult that must be to get all the way back after, you know, getting drawn in on that coverage. And Mook Reynolds was the other one that I wanted to just, he was all over the field. I know he only had only two and a half tackles for a loss, but he just seemed to be in on every play. And I thought he had a great game on the defensive side of the ball. Trayvon Hill had the nice fumble recovery. Yeah, I thought Trayvon Hill had a strong performance, and that was another thing French alluded to in his article is that his improvement has been fairly material as well. Tremaine, 10 tackles, just does it again, got off blocks a few times and made plays. Yeah, Trayvon Hill was amazing, and um, I thought uh, Ricky Walker, again, has just been so undervalued. He gets, I don't think he's gotten much national attention at all, but he should be an all ACC first time, uh, first team defensive lineman this year. He's just been uh, terrific. There were there were two plays that I saw where like the Duke, I think it was the left guard was literally almost cowboy collar tackling Ricky from behind because he was just yeah. getting whooped so bad. And Trayvon made that left tackle. I mean, he on one of his, I, I think it was on the on the hurry. Maybe it was on it, the sack. I think he it was on the, the sack. Yeah. He turn styled the guy. Like, I mean, it was just so embarrassing. And there were, there were, you know, that one, a bull rush that he had on a, on a uh, hurry was also equally as impressive. Uh, so those guys are playing at a high level right now. I mean, those, those guys are playing great and they all potentially could come back next year if they want to. I mean, they're all, they're none of them are seniors yet, which is yeah. unreal. The, in theory, the entire defensive line and 
backup defensive line could all be back at Tech next year. I that, think everyone on the defense could be back except for Matua Plaka, right? Are there any other seniors? Well, we on got face on, we got Strowman. Face on Strowman. Yeah. Face on Strowman. But as right? far as front seven goes, you're talking about Anthony Chagog, who is a backup, but a very good backup. Yeah, Don. And, 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 and you're talking Matua Plaka. So they really, it, in Strowman, right? Well, Strowman, yeah, uh, okay, yeah, yeah. Outside the front. Yeah, so theoretically just getting on a tangent for next year for 2018. In the best-case scenario, they return eight out of 11 players on that defense. That would just be, you know, unreal considering. What we're talking about here is talking Adonis and Tremaine out of going into the NFL. That's that's what we're talking about because I <laughs> yeah, Terrell I know, too I, maybe, but I don't think Terrell is as NFL desirable as Adonis or Tremaine. I'm not sure, but all Tremaine. three of those guys, if you can get them to come back – Oh boy. Tremaine would be the one to me that has the NFL size yeah. and speed to go. He's the highest uh, rated uh, prospect right now on our team by a lot. Yeah. By a lot. Adonis gets like a ton of like, I feel like with defensive backs, it's so much how you, how it comes down the stretch. Like there's like just so many publications that preview the draft and they all just kind of pick a DB from here and here and here to go in the first round and like, I feel like with defensive backs, they can go anywhere from the first round all the way down to the fifth round. Like, you know, I could see him being a first, a late first round pick all the way to the fifth round. So and that's yeah. what happened he with stays, Macho Harris too. You know, they people thought he'd be a first, second, third round pick. He went in the fifth yeah. round. Yeah, it, it really is too. Like, and I don't know how many other defensive backs are coming out. It's coming out in that class and all that other stuff that factors into it. But yeah, I think Tremaine would be a, a very would get get a nice payday if he left this year. But. Some miscellaneous stuff from the game. It was a complete mess. Water was gushing down the stairs. I was so proud of all the fans who stuck around to the end because that rain was ridiculous. And a lot of people that were there said it was the hardest rain they've ever stood in, et cetera, you know, hyperbole perhaps, but it looked really bad. Yeah, it, it looked really wet. Mark, Mark Umansky, who does our photography, was there, and he cited it as pretty much – the wettest experience that he's had in Lane Stadium. And you had Hilger rocking the short sleeve. <laughs> that was the best part. That was, that was awesome. Hilger is the best. When I was rewatching the game, yeah, I think everyone saw that uh, with, with Hilgar that caught my eye, and I was just like, oh, my God. Like, it's just the pouring rain and, like, all the coaches going crazy. Then he kind of, like, creeps out of the frame from the left and kind of creeps in and creeps out and creeps in and creeps back out. Well, he was, was screaming because of yeah. the play, too. That was the best part. <laughs> it was hilarious. I loved it. Jumping up and down and bouncing. Yeah, that dude is a uh, an animal. Might have been might have been Fuente's best uh, outside the staff hire bringing him in. It seems like it might be. We we talked about that at some point over the summer. I feel like just the health of the guys, the way they've been staying out of the, off the training table and in the lineup, and just the gains they seem to make in the weight room. It's it Dalton seems Keen like six pack. Yeah. Is that what you're getting at? <laughs> Dalton Keen packing on. body by Hogart. Yeah. I love Hilgert. I love what he's done for the program. And that was awesome in a rainstorm and freezing cold weather, just rocking the short sleeve polo. Okay. Let's do a quick beer break before we move on to Miami. Robbie, what are you drinking? So I am having uh, the fruit casket. There's the fruit basket. There's a lot of fruit of uh, this, the same brewery. And it's from Champion in Charlottesville, which most people probably won't like. But if I wasn't going to drink 
I, I think I'm going to end up instead of drinking bleach, I'm going to I'm going to drink this. But the the problem was uh, the, the famous bleach actually, speech. <laughs> the bleach speech is going down in infamy, but you know I don't really care that much. Uh, it's actually a really really good beer. It's an eight percent double IPA uh, brewed with agave. So it's uh, a little bit fruity, but it has a nice malt to it. So that kind of eats into uh, what most people probably wouldn't like about it. It's it's right down the alley. It gives it a little darker flavor for the changing of the seasons here that we are in. Joe, you? are you drinking with us tonight? No, I have water. Being okay. pretty lame. That's what the- kind of water is it? <laughs> The blue, it's it's not the blue ribbon winning water. That's it's just a, about the same. <laughs> that would have been awesome if I had a PBR and I introduced it as water. Actually, <laughs> no, it's just a, a Deer Park bottle of water. I'm drinking the uh, Headless Heron. It's a barrel aged pumpkin spice ale. Since it's one day before Halloween, and most people will be listening to this podcast on Halloween or the day after, I went with one more pumpkin beer. But this one is something that Robbie would really enjoy because it's aged in bourbon barrels. It smells like bourbon when you pour it into the glass. Nutmeg, cinnamon, ginger, and cloves are also added. And it's perfect for settling in to watch a few fall leaves come to the ground. And it is, uh, that's, that's what's written on the side of the bottle. It's, I thought you just came up with that. And, uh, it's by Wait a Central Waters Brewing out of Wisconsin. And I picked it because the headless heron, it's a bird. It kind of looks like a Miami ibis, which it's not the same species. I was doing some bird research before the. Wait, is that a tall boy? Yeah, it's a big bottle. Yeah, it's. And oh it's, wow! Yeah, I think it's like. That's like a. Eight percent or something on here, but it it tastes great, really really good, and. I don't know. I just went for it. So as as Pete just alluded to, we're, people are going to be listening on Halloween, correct? We think so. Halloween. We're recording this on the thirtieth. Yes, that's true. Oh, it's Halloween. So Pete actually shared a list of the ultimate Halloween candy power rankings on 538. Yes. We need to do we need to do something with this list for maybe five minutes. We'll put it on a five minute timer here as part of the Halloween. I had episode. I had talk candy rankings in my notes. Here, I'll give the top five here real quick because I don't think everyone has this up. Number one are Reese's peanut butter cups. Number two are Reese's miniatures. Number three are Twix. Number four are Kit Kat, and number five are Snickers. And I think the most interesting thing about the 538 rankings are all the top five are all, uh, as I would kind of class them, chocolate-based candy products. So not like a fruity, a fruit snack type candy product, right? I think the first one of those are Starburst. At at number number 13. 13. Yeah. Yeah, wow. So all of them are really chocolate-dominated. Yeah. I think Disrespect. Disrespect is what I want to say. Here's where we'll start getting into some arguments here. I think the Reese's peanut butter cups are easily the number one candy. So for me, I I kind of – I don't completely agree because I'm a Twix guy, but that's side the fact. But if I did have to pick a Reese's, the Reese's miniature cups I find superior to the regular Reese's cup. And it's only because of a chocolate peanut butter ratio situation. I, I do like them both. Don't get me wrong. But the miniatures are better because it's a one-stop pop, you know, and it, I've got the perfect ratio of chocolate and peanut butter. Whereas the the cup, do I put it all in my mouth at once, or you know, is that what she said, or is it, you know, two bite situation? I'm not sure. I do. I think I like the bigger cups better. I don't like the jumbo cups are way too much at once. The bigger cups, 
you know, the normal, you know, you get two in a package. That's where I'd have to go. The miniatures aggravate me because you have to undo every one of them. So if I want to just be a fat ass and sit on my couch and plow through like 700 calories of Reese's, I got to sit there and I'm opening them up and little chocolate. You know how the chocolate shards fly everywhere? I got a leather couch. It's messy. And it's messy. All right. We have yes. this at five minutes. It's time for the fruit guys to get it's in. Like, well, yeah, like I want to hear from Robbie because like I know he's. It's a fire fight on the couch. Go I, ahead, right. ahead, Robbie. I know more. Uh, Robbie's not, more of a fruit-based candy kind of guy. So I'm not this, a chocolate or peanut butter connoisseur. It's way too, I guess, savory is probably the way. I'm more of a tart and uh, fruity t- type of guy. Can we just cut it out where he says I'm more of a tart and then we move on? <laughs> so what's your so, number one uh, fruit candy then, Robbie? What are you putting at the, the top? The number one uh, is the watermelon Sour Patch Kids. Okay, number two is probably just Sour Patch Kids. Uh, number three, I would go with Airheads uh, is a good good, good way to go. <sighs> Skittles and Starburst four, are getting in there. Yeah, I, I also will go down, which most people hate, and I would never – a test for anybody to like this because it's a uh, licorice type is uh, I'm a Twizzler fan, but I would put that way down because I know most people don't like them, but I'm, I'm more of a fruit based guy and I don't go with the chocolate and the peanut butter. And that's fair. Except Snick- Snickers of the top five. That's probably the only one that I would normally eat if I had to choose. Let's do a quick speed round here. Where does everyone stand on candy corn? Robbie, you go first. Candy corn is trash. It's a legitimate trash. I won't say trash, but I'm not a fan. I would also agree candy corn is trash. Um, Where does everyone stand on the Reese's Pieces? Not the just the little peanut butter. Oh, you created a firestorm on Twitter with this. Joe (laughs) Joe said, (laughs) quote unquote, that Reese's Pieces are trash. And... He could not have gotten more objection to that statement, including from myself. Yeah, I was. They're one of my favorites. A Twix is probably number one. Reese's Pieces are top five, no doubt, and might be you know one B. I I just love them. If you mix Reese's Pieces with plain M and M's, that is an awesome combination. But on its own, Reese's Pieces, it's just peanut butter and in some sort of sugar coating that doesn't even taste like anything it's a, like a peanut I'm butter right. hybrid though it's like a sweet peanut butter of some kind inside and cut inside some kind of candy shell i don't know what they do it's like cracked to the me candy. i love it <laughs> so my, my response to the candy shell is what does the candy tell shell even taste like and there is no answer because it is like literally like one one thousandth of a millimeter thick that you cannot taste the it candy provides shell. texture that's it it's just that it's a it's a texture thing it's the crunch that that it M- that helps. I don't think it has a M- flavor. M and M's M and M basically invented and trademarked the candy shell that does not. <laughs> what is it? Melt in your mouth, not in your hand. That is so true. Reese's, all right. All right. Reese's all right. Had I'm to come up with the candy shell. All right. Whatever we're out of time. We're, we're out of time. But I will also just because I know there are other people out there that are into sours and into into, into other sours, yes fruits. Sours. Yes, sour beers, sours. Uh, the the straws that they have, the sour straws that they always have, uh, that those are go good. like at the bottom shelf that not many people get. No, those if are you're good. into, those are awesome. So those will never show up on a list for anybody, but they're those are awesome as well. Yeah, you find those at hospital uh, candy stores. That's like <laughs> one of those throwback candies that they have at the hospital, like lemon heads, 
Those saws yeah. are good. The most ridiculous top fifteen of this whole list is the hundred grand being at thir- Like, what is that? Fourteen. Fourteen. Yeah. Yeah. I don't get that. That's all the old people that figured out how to use the internet. No. <laughs> here is here is the worst one. Rolo. I know Number you hate Rolos oh, too. I love Rolos. Rolo is trash. I would. I. I literally take the. Reese's when was the last time you had a Rolo? Rolo is amazing. No, it is Rolo McFlurry. My wife used to talk trash about Rolos. She hadn't eaten like had one ever, and then she had it and was like, "That's the best thing ever." So just because it looks like you don't want to have it, you better have eaten some Rolos, or I'm coming after you, Joe. Joe doesn't Rolos. like it because it unwraps just like the Reese miniatures with the foil. He, that's why he doesn't like it. It takes Rolo too is, long to eat them. <laughs> Rolo is one step away from Werther's original. That's the candy path you're headed down. Oh, gosh. All right. I think we have to get back into football now. Let's talk Miami. This year, Miami is 7-0, and 5-0 and in the ACC. Just three ACC games left for them. And they're number nine in the AP poll, moving back one spot from last week, actually. Mark Rick is in year two. He has been doing a pretty good job at Miami, but this kind of reminds me of some of his Georgia teams where, yes, they are good, but they also have several vulnerabilities. They're 14th in the S&P Plus, 18th in Sagarin, and their strength of schedule, according to Sagarin, is 44th. VT is 76th for comparison. So, yes, they have a better strength of schedule than us, but I'm not sure they have any better wins. They were projected to win the Coastal in Athlon, in Lindy's, Phil Steele, and they've won 12 games in a row. But I kind of feel good about this game. I don't know how you guys feel. I feel pretty good about it, mostly like everybody does because of how close they've played everybody in the ACC so far. Yeah, I don't feel as bad about this game as I would if I had to eat a Rolo, nor do I feel as good about this game as I would if I had to eat a Reese's peanut butter cup. It's somewhere kind of in the middle for me. Nicely done. I, I think I think Miami has a very talented and capable defense. Uh, you know, their offense kind of took a hit. I think I forget the kid's name, but their their best offensive player, Fuente, cited their running backs done for the year. Their quarterback isn't as dynamic as Kaya. Uh, but they have a, a quality solid, you know, like Snickers bar for a head coach, Mark Rex, very solid. <laughs> They did lose Mark Walton, their starting running back for the year. And that's huge because he was a very, very good runner. Yes. Their offense and their defense, both top 20 in yards per play, top 40 in S&P, both offensively and defensively. But coming into the year, I think Robbie and I both thought their defense would be clearly the best unit on the field. But if you look at the advanced stats – their offense has actually been outperforming them. I think that's a little bit of fool's gold. They're not as good as the numbers suggest. I, Robbie, do you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. I think Rozier has been decent. He's passing, what, 57% on the year, 17 TDs, four interceptions, which isn't far off from a quarterback that we have under center either in, in, in that position. He's also been kind of, He's, he's a lot more, I think, mobile in, in my mind. He's still rushed for 280 yards and another two TDs. I really wonder what the, for me, that offense is going to look like. If it was Walton, and I think I said to this to you last week, I'd be pretty scared in this game. But without him, 
I know that Travis Homer's been in, he's been playing well, but I felt like Walton was a real difference maker for them, and that's a huge blow to lose on the offensive side of the ball. I thought Walton was a true NFL type back. Homer is good, but he's 5'11, 195, good average. You know, Miami recruits so well. Clearly, the kid's good. There's no one behind him, so he doesn't get much like of a spell during the games. And he's just not quite as dynamic as as Walton was, in my opinion. As for Rozier, 32nd in QBR and 32nd in passer rating. So exactly the same in those two categories. And that's right around where Josh is. Josh is, uh, what, 30th in QBR, but a little bit higher in rating. And that's because of completion percentage. But if you look at all of their other stats, 17 touchdowns, same as Josh. Four interceptions, same as Josh. Two rush GDs, same as Josh. He has 3.1 yards per carry. Josh has 2.9. These these quarterbacks are so similar in size, six foot one, both of them, mid, you know, two tens in weight, stats. Like they are very, very similar quarterbacks. I think Josh is the more accurate passer. He throws a prettier ball. I like Rozier's game, but I think Josh is the better QB. And I, I really think that a lot of this game is going to come down to who the better QB is, and hopefully it's on our side. As for who Rozier's throwing to, you could make the argument that they have much better targets on Miami than we do. We've got Cam and Savoy, but they've got three guys averaging 20 yards per catch in Amon Richards, Jeff Thomas, and Daryl Langham. They also have Chris Herndon, their tight end, who has 30 receptions on the year and three touchdowns. So they provide a little bit more of steady targets when you throw in their slot guy Braxton Berrios as well. Berrios seems like the guy to watch. He's only 5'9", 186, but he's a senior, 415 yards. It has been a little bit fluky for him, so he went 7 for 78 against UNC, 1 for 11 against Syracuse the week prior. Interesting. But he has 6 six TDs. Uh, it's been a little bit all over the place. Jeff Thomas I think is another guy, but he's small. Uh, last game he went for 101 yards off of uh, three receptions with one long one, but he's only 5'10", 175. I think they have a lot more uh, productive depth at this point in the season than maybe we're showing at wide receiver. I'm on Richard still, despite the fact that he's missed a couple games, I think is their most dangerous player because... He broke Michael Irvin's freshman year receiving record, 31-year-old record, and he broke it, led the nation in freshman receiving yards last year, and he's just been a little hampered by injuries. But Richards is the guy, to me, that you've got you've to put Strowman on or you know switch him with Adonis because they seem to be our best cover corners. He's someone that I'm terrified of. I mean, 20 yards per catch from anyone, let alone three guys. I know they don't have all have a lot of catches, but they can break a game open and that's going to be the biggest problem for bud is preventing the big play. Joe, what are your thoughts on, on Miami's uh, skill talent? I watched a few of their games this year and they seem like a very capable team. I think the weakness is the quarterback right now. I think they just don't have, I, I don't think they have the same level of quarterback play that they did last year with Kaya. So um, yeah, I remember kind of, I was, I, I heard his shoulder, uh, he kind of dinged up his shoulder, and that was kind of an underreported thing, I guess. Like Rick, 
Uh, you know, a bunch of people at the UNC game noted it. I think he kind of came in and kind of came out a couple times. Uh, and he wasn't practicing because uh, what Rick said was soreness in the shoulder. Uh, but it was kind of funny because I did a search for him on Twitter just to kind of get some more store, uh, information about that. And, like, one, you know, major Miami kind of account said something like, you know, if if, if uh, the UNC coordinator was getting that much pressure on him with their defense, wait till you see what Bud Foster kind of has in store for him. And so that might just be, you know, limiting their limiting their skill potential with, you know, frustrating the quarterback, kind of like what we did to Ja'Cory Harris, like, was that, like, 2000 and. 2009, they were ranked nine, the same yeah, ranking the that year. Yeah. And we yeah. put a hurting on them. And history so that, doesn't repeat, but it rhymes, right? And so that might be where <laughs> we're at with this game. I, I, at least that's what yeah. I'm hoping. I mean, they've been generating a ton of four-man pressures as of late. Like the defensive line, like we said earlier in the, in the show, have been really getting after it. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see like what sort of blitzes he does bring. Um and how you know how those guys can cover on the back end when they're bringing some heat. That is a good segue to the offensive line for Miami, which coming into the season was deep. It was talented. They were only replacing one guy, and they were replacing him with Donaldson, who was like a 335-pound freshman, who I think also is questionable for this game. But the Rosier's news is interesting in light of the fact that they're 61st in sacks allowed. When it comes to TFL allowed, they're much better. They're 26th. So that tells me a couple things. One, they're dropping back a lot. This is primarily a passing offense. They're 114th in rush attempts in all of FBS. So they have not been running the football. And it's not because they've been down. You know, they've been winning a lot of their games. It's just not the design of their offense. They've been relying on Rozier to throw it, and he's been putting it in the air 36 times a game. So there's a lot of chances for us to bring that pressure with our four man fronts with, you know, Mook blitzing off the edge or face on blitzing off the edge. So it's, it's exciting from that aspect for us because I think this is something we can capitalize on, especially if Rozier's a little banged up. I also just wanted to hit the defensive side and what you think that this, this Miami defense is actually capable of. I know that, you know, from the S&P stats and things like that, it hasn't lived up to what it's supposed to be. But we have the from defensive backs with Johnson, Quarterman, uh, Demetrius Jackson, Trent Harris. There, there seems to be a lot of people that are putting on the field, and I think it speaks to the depth that they have from Miami. And I haven't gone back and been able to watch all of the games and what's happening um, in all of these, but. The, the thing that stood out to me is just how much talent that they have, and it seems like underutilized talent. I think this defense is a top-five defense if the right coaching and right schemes were put up against any team. I mean, the talent is so good. They go six deep, six deep on the defensive line. They had three freshman starters at linebacker last year who are all back. And you mentioned Quarterman, but Michael Pickney is so good as well. Zach McLeod, all returning starters. It's just that I don't know if they're being as coached as well as they could be. They have a great D-line coach and the guy from Missouri. He came in last year, and he was putting all kinds of guys in the NFL from Mizzou. And now he's at the U with much better talent. And these guys, that is their best unit, no, bar none. 
Pickney and Quarterman, they're good, but the D line is where they where they shine, really. It would make me more nervous, except for I look at the advanced stats. They're 84th against the run, this Miami defense. That that doesn't really compute when you look at who they have. And I don't know if they're maybe undisciplined, so maybe they've run past the play more often than they should. Uh, because I know Quarterman and Pickney in particular can go sideline to sideline. So I'm not sure why they're so bad against the run. But they're still 31st overall in defensive S&P. This is a very good defensive unit in general. I just think they could be better, and that's what kind of scares me. Because if what if they get focused for our game? They haven't really, you know, the teams that are coming in, Georgia Tech, they just played UNC, who cares, Duke, and they know this is a big game. So is this South Florida talent all of a sudden going to turn it on? Because if they do, they're capable of being a top-five defense, without a doubt. Yeah, they're also 28. They're 20th in basic stats, uh, scoring defense. I haven't I really put any much stock in total defense, but I think scoring defense is still a decent uh, kind of metric, when, especially when you couple it with the uh, advanced stats. You know, it's a 31st in S&P. Um, yeah, I think... I think their their linebackers are really are really really solid this year. Pete, you already kind of talked about how how solid their defensive line is. I, I don't think that they put anywhere near their best game on paper against North Carolina. I think it's just like I think all I think you know the the, the kind of the the stats person to me always wants to evaluate college football like in in you know, a one season, like not look back over the trends of a program. But I think it's always hard to not to do that. Like programs have a life about them. And Miami has always been the type of program to play down to play down to its opponents to really kind of just lays through games that are just like games that no one is interested in. They're very much they they always do get up for the big game um, historically. And so I, I definitely think you will see a better Miami team on the field than what was seen against North Carolina. I don't think that's going to be the type of team. I think their defense is very capable. I think their offense is very capable. I think it's going to be a very uh, tough game, to be quite honest. I had one key thing in terms of a statistical profile that could be a benefit for us, and that's that Miami is 51st in 10-yard-plus plays allowed. That has been Virginia Tech's strongest suit on offense i mean we between 10 and 20 yard plays we're 34th and 27th nationally so their like susceptibility on defense plays exactly into the way fuente likes to play offense they haven't given up many big plays but they've given up a lot of moderate gains and that's a sign of youth to me and that's exactly what miami has whether it's on the d-line or in the linebacking core or in the db's Attack the middle tier of that defense, and I think we'll find a lot of success. Yeah, Josh yeah. Jackson. Josh Jackson's been like the most efficient passer down the field in the NC. I don't know if it's the entire NCAA or the Power Five. I think mean, David Hale's been busting out that stat like every week, and he's been head and shoulders among has been like the best. Uh, so I don't know if that continues after the Duke performance. But yeah, if Miami's big, you know, if Miami's susceptibility is being kind of beaten that intermediate range that does play very well. It's like what Jackson's very capable of doing. I think overall, this is like a game that the defense goes and has to win for Virginia Tech. I mean, Virginia Tech is number two in scoring defense, uh, basic stats. They're number four in S&P. This is a great defense. 
this is not a game that I expect the offense to go down there and have to win a shootout in. Like if this is a shootout type game, I definitely, I definitely would lean Miami winning that sort of a contest. Uh, this is a game where, you know, you know, pack your lunch, man. This is a lunch pail defense. Go down there and kick some ass. I mean, this is what you do. This is the game. Does defense travel? Defense travels, baby. <laughs> this defense got to travel. Uh, yeah. This has got to travel. They got to have a gotta, big, they, they, yeah. they, we, we kicked around the fact that they might be elite. Like, this is the time for them to just go. I, I, I think it was 20, what was it, 2013 on the road against Georgia Tech when they wore those, like, the hokey stone helmets, like the the really crazy ones. Yeah, Faison's freshman year, Kendall's freshman year. It was either 2012 or 2013. When they yeah. just, like, absolutely just, it was, you know, a Thursday night game, uh, 8 o'clock game, and they just, like, totally shut Georgia Tech down. Like, they were in the backfield on every play. They just, you know, ripped it up. That is the type of, like, we haven't seen a performance like that from the defense in quite some time, like, against in a big spot. And that's what they need to do. They need like one of those things where every time the ball is snapped, there's someone in the backfield. They're creating havoc. They're putting guys on the ground. They're they're generating turnovers. That is the type of effort Tech will need. And that I think that's because the offense. You know, we saw the offense against Duke be gifted the ball like probably double digit times in perfect, uh, you know, field position, like on the on on the right side of the field to get in there and score. And they just did not score that many points. If they didn't do it against Duke. I'm hesitant to say they're going to do it against Miami, and so the defense is going to have to be at its peak. Yeah, I would just finish with, I think Fuente, in general, we're learning, likes to have his players being, while sound mentally, also emotional about the game, caring about the game for bigger reasons. And Miami has not been anything that we've really cared about for you know a, a while now so giving people a reason to go on the road and then want to perform and giving his team a reason to to go out there and i think he that we had all off season to do it with wvu right to instill that understanding of what that rivalry game used to mean and i think we have another challenge ahead of ourselves again which is helping the players understand what this Miami game really means because it also hasn't been that relevant for a while. And so I think outside of just blocking and tackling, there's an emotional aspect to go on the road and care about this game and, and, and care about why, you know, both teams are going to try and punch each other in the mouth. And it, it, my hope is that's also the case because I think this is good for college football. I think this is good for the ACC. I think this is good for the coastal and this is what we want to see is when Miami's good and Virginia Tech's good. I, you make yeah, a this... great point. I, I Sorry, Joe, I didn't mean to cut you off, but you make a great point, Rob. This is a game that these guys have not experienced in terms of it being super meaningful. Last year's game, Miami was playing well. It was a big game at home for us. But it wasn't a nationally relevant game. It just wasn't. This is two top 15 teams playing, and – in 2003, 2004, all the way up until Miami really just wasn't bringing it year after year, our players knew what it was all about. They knew that this was a huge rivalry and they have to play hard. Our guys get after it for UVA. They get after it for those North Carolina games, guys that we recruit against in key positions all the time, year in and year out. But Miami, that's not really happening that much. You know, there's there's six guys from Florida on our roster. It's not... A, a big rivalry in general right now. 
But these guys need to understand how big of a game this is. And I think that's a great point by you. Yeah, I, I think this game has a ton of implications. Uh, obviously, uh, if Miami wins, and I forget the other thing it needs to play out, but Miami could essentially wrap up the Coastal Division this weekend uh, with a win. So, I mean, that's Tech. Tech If Tech wants to repeat as Coastal Division champions, they need to win this game. Yeah, not no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Let's do another beer break before we do our picks against the spread. You're up, you're up first, Pete. What do you got? I'm drinking the Mega Mix. It's MIA Beer Company, Bienvenido a Miami. That's right. I went with a Miami brewery because we're playing the Hurricanes. And this Mega Mix, a 6.0 pale ale. You don't usually find them that high. And it's awesome. It, it tastes like an IPA, but it technically is a pale ale. And, um, man, I've seen this can so many times. It's got, like, the uh, the spray art on it. And I really like it, man. The Mega Mix by my MIA Brewing Company or MIA Beer Company. Robbie, what are you drinking? All right, I'm, I'm drinking the Hoppy Place. It's from Old Ox, which is from Ashburn, my hometown where I grew up. You know Ashburn. Of course. Pete. Ashburn Pub. And... <laughs> That's right. Ashburn, well, it's changed names many times since then, but <laughs> it's still uh, the place to be. The Hoppy Place is it? Old the Ox. It's from Virginia in in good old uh, Ashburn. This is not very good beer. It, <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's a West Coast a, attempt at a West Coast, but it's just didn't really hit it on the head. Uh, the reason I bought it knowing I'm not a big Old Ox Brewery fan, and we'll probably get blasted for that, but uh, Old Ox got sued by, I believe, Red Bull because they thought that they were stealing their logo at one point, so oh. they switched over to like a different logo because Red Bull went after them. So I gave it another shot. I've also decided not to buy any more Old Ox beer. I'm not going to, you know, Roasted too hard on our untapped ratings, but it's not that great. All right, so let's do this uh, this Virginia Tech spread. I got two and a half Virginia Tech, the favorites, against number nine Miami. Like I said, Virginia Tech's number 13, and we are favorites by two and a half. Joe, I'm going to go to you first. Who do you like against the spread in this game? Ooh. Yeah, I think it's kind of insane that Virginia Tech's a road favorite, to be quite honest. I'll take I take Miami to at least cover. Well, they started a favorite. All the money went towards uh, the VT and pushed the line. They started, Miami started as a three-point favorite. No. Yeah. Really? Yeah, they, they it, it moved really, really quickly. So yeah, moved, yeah. moved five and a half points towards Virginia Tech. Oh, I just, yeah. I just reopened the Yahoo apps. It says VT's minus two now. So it's coming back down just a little bit. But we're gonna still yeah. t- we're still gonna pick it at two point five because it really shouldn't matter really. Uh, Robbie, who do you got? I'm gonna go with Virginia Tech. Uh, I, I I won last week with Virginia Tech, so that was kind of nice. You did. You the, got me on that one. I got you on that. I got you on one out of a billion this year. But uh, the games of Miami's been playing, and I know we've been harping on it, and Twitter has been utterly almost unwatchable at this point because of all the. Yeah, Miami fans coming out talking about games and you know who's played who, etc. In any case, they have been so close to losing, and I think our defense is going to get it done. I'm really excited. I think we'll put up 
probably seven points, whether it's pick six or fumble recovery, whatever, on the defense. And I think that's going to make the difference. Um, I'm really excited about our defense this year. I think we'll be able to shut down the rush and most importantly, limit Rozier's rushing ability. Keep the big plays to a minimum. Run the ball on our side with McLeese and Trayvon. That could help open up the pass. Is Miami going to score 17 points or more on this defense? I'm, I don't think it's going to happen. I, my prediction is 23-17 VT, and I'm going to take him to cover. All right, let's move on to the other ACC games before we do our final analysis. There's some interesting ones here, including Syracuse at FSU. Syracuse has had, now had to go to LSU, NC State, Miami, and Florida State. It, th- those are ridiculous road trips for a team from upstate New York to have to make all in one year, but they are coming off a bye. Robbie, who do you like? It's three and a half going towards FSU. Who do you got in this game? I've been going FSU all year, which was actually kind of funny, and then they just got blown out by Boston College, which yep. me- you know means that it's gonna, FSU's going to finally show up because Jimbo's going to put a foot up somebody's ass. Uh I'm going to go with FSU again. Oh, Mine God. as well. Oh, God. Don't do it to yourself. Joe, who do you got? Yeah, I'll take Florida State. I'm going I Syracuse. <laughs> I went against – so I went Florida State once. They blew it against Louisville. I went against Wake once, and that screwed me last week, also against Louisville. So I'm going to pick against Florida State every time, so I'm taking Q's. And uh, just to uh, spoiler alert, I'm taking Wake later in this podcast. Georgia Tech. Oh, that's a surprise. <laughs> Georgia Tech at UVA. Georgia Tech, 10 point favorites in Charlottesville. Joe, I'll ask you first this time. Who do you got? I like Georgia Tech covering 10 points. I think, can, do I have to drink bleach no matter what? I'm trying to think how many <laughs> games we have left. <laughs> you said, I will drink bleach if UVA doesn't win eight games. Well, they're yeah, so what, I gotta go five, UVA. <laughs> what are they, five and three now? Five and four? Yeah, they need three wins. Okay. Yeah, they're, set up, they're set up to lose out the rest of the season. Yeah, they got That's, some tough it, matchups. Joe, I can do math. I, I understand that they're going to lose out. I'm just, I need to not drink bleach. That's Sorry, I didn't, I didn't, I would have, I presume that the person who bet on UVA to win, who bet drinking bleach on UVA to win eight games would not be capable of doing math. Sorry. Yeah. I'm going to take Georgia uh, Tech well. when they well. do, do you want to, do you want to counter the bet? You can actually drink small amounts of bleach. So you're actually fine. Like you have to. It's this is a real sidebar here, but the Fairfax Water Advisory. Uh, remember that that we had that derecho. Many I remember years the ago. derecho. It's a fair one of the ways that the Fairfax Water Advisory said you can um, sterilize your water was to put like some minimal, minimal, minimal amount of bleach in your water and mix it in case you didn't have power to heat the water up. Do not take that for my read about this before anyone ever tries to do that. Our but podcast I'm, is going to get sued now. I think <laughs> I think I got it. So Robbie is drinking Dookie water and bleach. I got it. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Next game is number six, Clemson at number 20, North Carolina State. And Clemson's coming in 7.5 point favorites. So we got seven and a hook for Clemson. Why don't you start? I'm going to take NC State. Uh, I'll go Clemson against NC State. I feel like NC State had all their hopes riding on the fact that they were the underdog and about to 
you know, make a run at the playoff. And now, now they're actually going to struggle to make it to the ACC championship. And I don't really think that there's a, a good avenue for them to do it unless they win this one. What time is this game on? Is this a night game? No, it's it's a uh, it's an afternoon game because NC State lost. I'm pretty sure it's a three thirty game. I'm still gonna go NC State. I like I like NC State, and I have the vision of that really large dude without the shirt on swinging his shirt around in the so air. So funny, like one of those one of those NC State victories. I don't know if they'll win outright, but they'll 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 keep it within seven and a half. I don't think Clemson will cover. This game proposes an interesting question because. NC State winning improves our chances to win the ACC. Clemson winning improves our chances to go to the playoff. And I mean that in the way if we beat them. So what are you rooting for here? Clemson to win. Joe? Mm, I'm, I'm rooting for NC State to win. I'd rather play NC State. Interesting. ACC. See, that's a, and that's, it's a great question because if NC State wins the number 20, they would maybe move up to 12, maybe 10 at the end of the year if they were to win out, which isn't a given. They'll be a top 10 team when they play Tech if we were to win out. If but NC State Clemson, wins, the ACC is out of the out of the playoff, That's right? not necessarily true. No. Because, no, not at all. Because, yes, Clemson taking a second loss would hurt, and the perception of Clemson not being at the top of their game hurts the ACC more than anything else. But I still think a one-loss ACC champ would get into the playoff. But it would be dicey. <laughs> That's It'll the problem. Hard. Yeah, I think there's a lot of losing to go. I think one-loss one loss conference champ has a very good argument to get into the playoff. Right, because it would be Georgia and Alabama and then Notre Dame and then maybe uh, us. Here, here's the thing. I, I don't that's if you kick the. Yeah, we don't want to get into the whole like playoff discussion. Maybe we could do briefly at the end, but uh, but I think it's better for the ACC if Clemson wins. It's better for Tech to win the ACC if NC State wins. Next, game. I also I also think the powers to be would collude to keep Notre Dame out in that situation because why would they give them that big of a chunk of the TV money when they have they can collude against them. To be quite honest, I think that would be a bad. You just went to a whole different place, but that's a good <laughs> that's a good way to We're move to the Notre Dame I, game because it's Wake at Notre Dame. Notre Dame yeah. is number five, and they're thirteen and a half point favorites against the Demon Deacons. Joe, who you got? Uh, I'm taking Notre Dame. I think Wake kind of got a really crappy hand dealt with Greg Dorch. Uh, is injured now for the rest of the year. I think I caught that today. So like their best player, oh, best. That's brutal. Maybe. Yeah, maybe the best freshman in the ACC. Uh, you know, him and Josh Jackson are probably having the best years as freshmen. But yeah, that was a rough, rough loss for them. Robbie, how are you? Well, that shakes things up. I didn't really uh, pay attention to my Wake Forest news this morning, so <laughs> uh, uh, I'll go Wake. Actually, yeah, I'm going Wake too. John Walford, the quarterback for Wake. He's like the seventh-ranked quarterback in QBR in the nation. That guy can play. And so, yeah, it's, it's in South Bend, but I just think this is that game where maybe Notre Dame isn't ready for their opponent because they've got Miami the following week and they got Stanford at the end of the year. Next game, Iowa State at West Virginia. This is an important game for us. That's why I put it on this list of games. Iowa State's number 14 after their upset at TCU. And West Virginia coming off the worst performance of the year by Will Greer and an inopportune time 
are still two and a half point favorites at home against the Cyclones. I'll go first. I'm going to take West Virginia to cover, even though they're the favorite. I uh, This might be a little bit of, I just want West Virginia to win, but this is also a classic Iowa State coming down off a really big victory, off a game they really could have lost. I watched that entire game. TCU was denied a pick six, and they had a uh, another potential touchdown intercepted right outside the end zone and fumbled on the three-yard line. They really should have won this game by a touchdown or two, and they ended up losing to Iowa State. So I'm going to take WVU. I think their passing game gets back on track. Robbie, who you got? Uh, WVU, mostly because that was the worst performance by a quarterback I've watched in a long time. (laughs) It was the, the WVU defense did everything they possibly could to keep them in that game. And then Will Greer would just go out and throw like another interception. And they weren't even like close interceptions. Like they were like 10 yards past the receiver, like right into the safety's hands. I was watching it. I had a par, I had the WVU in my uh, parlay that I ended up obviously losing right off the bat. I, so they have to bounce back. Otherwise everything that I've ever thought that WVU could be, which is just like a somewhat okay team with a somewhat okay quarterback would be wrong because he was the worst thing I've ever seen on TV. Joe, who, how about you? Take Iowa State. Okay. <laughs> the funny thing <laughs> is we're going to move on to the Oklahoma, Oklahoma State game, which is in Stillwater, and both of those teams are top 11 teams. you got Oklahoma at 8 and Oklahoma State at number 11. Oklahoma State is three-point favorites, and the weird thing is, though, if Oklahoma wins this game, and West Virginia beats Ohio Iowa State, then all of a sudden, West Virginia is right back in the race for the Big 12 championship. It, it's that's how convoluted the Big 12 is right now. But in the Oklahoma Oklahoma State game, Robbie, who do you got? It's Oklahoma State favored by three. I just don't like Baker Mayfield, so I'm just going to go Oklahoma State for that. Just throw it out there, Joe. Who you got? I think Baker Mayfield's pretty awesome, so I'm going to go with Oklahoma. I am also going with Oklahoma. <laughs> Next game, LSU at Alabama. The old rivalry. LSU is number 19. Bama's number one, if you haven't heard. And Bama is 21-point favorites in this one. I'm taking LSU, and I'm a dummy, but I don't know what it is. They, that Auburn game went the exact opposite of what I thought for LSU. Just completely the opposite. I thought Auburn would kill them. This is that same feeling, so I'm going to pick LSU. Joe, how about you? Oh, the Coach O. Coach O's going to have to work it. Yeah, I think it's going to be tough. Obligatory for... Coach O impression. <laughs> <laughs> I Coach definitely o. don't do it as good as one of one of my friends, but I figured I'd try it. Uh, yeah, I think LSU is going to get obliterated. Okay. Robbie, how about you? I'm going to have to go with Alabama. All right, I'm standing alone on that one. And the last game, and we're picking this – because there's a Heisman contender in this game. Arizona at USC. Arizona has popped into the rankings at number 23. USC, after a nice bounce back win last week, is 17. And they are 7.5 favorites at home against Arizona. Khalil Tate for Arizona has been blowing up. Michael Vick's status. He has almost 1,000 yards rushing in like four games. I'm taking Arizona to cover those 7.5 
I don't know if they'll win outright, but they very well may. Robbie, how about you? Arizona. I think USC is secretly not as good as we want them to do, and I think Sam Darnold cares more about his NFL draft prospects at this point than their season because they're kind of already stubbed their toe enough. Joe? Uh, I'm going to go with USC. I think it'll be – I really don't have a good read on this game, uh, but I think I think maybe Arizona has been kind of punching above its weight class a little bit, and USC has – USC always kind of seems to get it right down the stretch. They always seem to like flounder early in the season ever since Carroll left, but then they kind of seem to like right the ship a little bit down the, the back half of the season. So I'll take them in a big, uh, a big one for the rest of their it season. It certainly happened last year that way. And that is true. Pac-12 after dark action is that game is kicking off at 1045 Eastern. <laughs> so make sure you stay up to see if me, Robbie and Joe get that pick. Correct. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, good podcast. I think that about covers it. This is a big week for Virginia Tech. Uh, I think we can all agree with that. As far as whether it's bigger or not as big as Clemson, we kind of had nothing to lose in that game. There's something to lose here. Yeah, this is the first big game of the Fuente era that he's expected to win, I think is the big thing here. I mean, this is like, you know, everything up to this point has kind of been gravy, and now he, he's ahead of schedule, and they're expected to win this game. So... I think the defense will have to play their butts off for it to happen. Nothing really else left to be said. All right, Joe, thank you so much for coming on with us today. Make sure you hit us on Twitter. It's at 2DeepVT. The website, 2DeepVT.com. Robbie's been uploading all the stats. Josh Jackson versus Gerard Evans year over year. All the beers we've had. We did a couple fun ones tonight. And email us, 2DVT at gmail.com, if you have any questions or comments. Yeah, and I think also hit hit up, join the the key play club because French's article, um, especially this week, was awesome. And it, I try to do all my notes for this game because I like to judge myself against, like, if I'm even within, like, a decimal point of how good he is. Like, I get 1% and he gets 100%. So... Make sure that you join and check that out because French just continues to hone in um, even better and better on not only the past games, but also what those mean for the future games. So definitely join up there. And until next time, go Hokies. Go Hokies.